Welcome to Broadway World's Some Like It Pop Podcast. I am Matt Timonini, Broadway World Senior TV and Film Critic. And as always, I am joined by the brains of our operation, Broadway World TV's Los Angeles Bureau Chief and resident Paisley Royal subject, Jennifer McHugh. Jen, are you doing okay? It's been a rough few days, but I, I will survive. All right, we'll talk about that here in just a second. You can follow Jen on Twitter at EpineQ, that's E-P-O-N-I-N-E-Q, and you can follow me at Matt. that's B-W-W-M-A-T-T, and you can read us both across various Broadway World sites. And you can follow Some Like It Pop on Twitter at S-L-I-P Podcast. Remember to tweet us what you think Jen and I will each pick as our favorite current TV comedy on next week's list of Palooza. You've got to get both of them right, and you have to be a follower the winner, if someone gets both of them right, will get some prizes. Not only can you find all episodes of Something Like It Pop on BroadwayWorld.com, but you can also get new episodes downloaded automatically via iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Also, if you don't hate what you hear, rate and review the show so that everyone else can discover the awesomeness that is Something Like It Pop. On this episode, we take a look at the women leading some of the best comedies on TV. We play Opening Night, Red Box, or Skip It with upcoming movie trailers. And as always, we will end the episode with Show and Tell. Now, Jen, um, we mentioned this at the top of the show. We are going to talk about something a little serious and a little sad to start off with. You are a a huge fan of, of Prince, and last week we lost him at the age of 57. He's one of the most unique, gifted performers of, of this or any generation. He died at his Paisley Park estate in Minnesota at just the age of 57. Uh, it seems kind of crazy. I know when the news broke, you sent me a G-chat and... There was some profanity and, and some shocked <laughs> uh, some shocked messages in there. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit about your feelings and thoughts on Prince? Uh, well, Purple Rain, to date myself, was my first album um, that my dad bought me. And he had heard that there was profanity on it. So I promised him I would never listen to the song Darling Nikki, which quickly became my favorite <laughs> song. Um but yes, I've been a Prince fan, gosh, for 25 years, maybe 35 years. And um, yeah, it was devastating. I Nobody expected it. He's a very well-known Jehovah Witness, so he doesn't partake in drugs or alcohol or caffeine or anything like that. So to find out there was all these health issues and he was taking pain medication to the point of, um, you know, I mean, it's all speculation at this point, but if he had a recent hip surgery and recovering from a hip surgery is painful enough walking to your car. So to, can you, if you can imagine being up on stage doing what he does with that amount of pain, I mean, it certainly makes a little bit of sense, but yeah, it was a huge loss. He crossed all genres and in my opinion, gave the greatest halftime show of a Super Bowl ever. And yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 you know, just for a little news, if people haven't been as up to it and by the time this comes out, this will probably all be, even more widespread than we it already is. Um, the week before he died, he was on a flight back home to Minnesota, and the plane had to make an emergency landing in Illinois. He spent some time in the hospital but was released. He tweeted out that he was fine, and he'll be back to performing soon. And then, of course, we hear that he passed away in an elevator in his house on on Friday, and it's, a, um, it's pretty crazy. I mean, there are few celebrities that are as well-respected for what they do, not only artistically, but commercially, that also maintain a certain level of anonymity away from the public spotlight. Maybe it's because he continued to live uh, in his hometown of, of Minnesota. Maybe it's because he really didn't do a whole lot of appearances outside of performing. 
Um, he just had this air of mystery about him, and he was always himself, no matter how outside the box that was. An incredible musician, an incredible artist. I did see something uh, just shortly after he died. It was an old interview with Eric Clapton where the interviewer asked Eric Clapton, he said, what does it feel like to be the best guitar player in the world? And Eric Clapton said, I don't know, ask Prince. So it shows you that he not only had the respect of millions of fans like Jen yourself, and and I'm not a fan at the level of you are, but I've always been a a Prince fan. I actually downloaded his um, B-side greatest hits just literally two weeks ago. Um, But not only did he have the respect of fans, but also artists as well. And um, uh, it's kind of a shocking thing, kind of sad. And uh, I'm sure just like we saw tributes to David Bowie just a few months ago, there will be equally as many to Prince coming up shortly. We've already seen a few Broadway shows, The Color Purple and Hamilton, do some nice tributes the night that that Prince passed away. So it'll be uh, well, uh, I, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they celebrate his life. I know that uh, Prince had seen Hamilton and he was a big fan, and he had um, thrown a, he had been performing at a secret concert one night and invited the entire cast. Uh, Leslie, oh wow! Leslie Odom Jr. talked about it on Colbert the other night and how that they all went to this secret Prince concert and it was. One of the best moments of his life. I also wanted to mention that he was so prolific that he has, and I I read this the other day, he has enough unreleased music that he posthumously could release an album every single year for the rest of this century. Yeah, I think he released four in the last two years, right? I believe so, yeah. I'm not as familiar. Something, Something along those lines, yeah. With with the way that the music business has gone with streaming and everything, like not a lot of, he doesn't get a lot of radio play anymore because there's really isn't a radio station that you know, would, would play him there. It's just too segregated now. So it's more just for the diehard fans and for, you know, you just stream it because it's a Prince, but he's, he's has all these weird things about um, streaming and you can only find it in certain places. So uh, his more modern music is a little bit harder to, to claim, but he has remained one of the top guitarists of all time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, for all the Prince fans, Jen, yourself included, um, Hopefully you take some solace in the fact that he left behind an incredible legacy of musicianship and artistry, and we'll be able to cling to that when uh, when you need a little dose of purple power. So, R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. Prince, and to everybody out there, uh, go turn on Purple Rain or Let's Get Crazy or 1999, whatever it is, <laughs> whatever, whatever. I'm not a big, I'm not a big lyrics guy. I can't Clearly. remember those things anyway. <laughs> I never meant to cause you when you sorrow I never meant to cause you when you pain Jen, going from something sad to something that is, uh, you know, pretty exciting as well as pretty damn hilarious. For most of the history of television, the medium has been dominated by men both in front of and behind the camera. And while there is still a long way to go to level that particular playing field, there are a number of shows, especially comedies, in the news lately that star and are run by women. And it's really pretty exciting. Jen, you are a woman. I am. And you love TV. I do. 
is has there have you noticed is it something that you're conscious of that there has been a groundswell of female led shows both in terms of the stars and in terms of the producers and creators that are really taking off it's not just a niche anymore it's really like some of the best shows on tv i have noticed and um i i know that she's not responsible for it but i think tina fey is a really big part of that kind Mm -hmm. of this uh no shit taking attitude from from the white men establishment and as showrunner and actor and writer and i think her and amy poehler and that whole crew has just kind of taken the world by storm as well as their people who are inspired by them and many of the women who came generations before like for instance Absolutely. grace and frankie who we'll talk about a little bit later i mean these women mm-hmm. are in their 70s and they're and the it, the show is one of the funniest things on netflix so yeah I, I love this surgence all of a sudden of of all these comedies being successful yeah and obviously not necessarily comedies but also someone who i think has done a lot for women's power in the boardroom of television is shonda rhimes Mm -hmm. who has some of the most buzzed about and exciting shows on tv and has for 15 years or so however long you know grace and addy's been has been on we're going to focus specifically on the comedies but uh, she's had as much to do with it as tina fey and emmy poehler and all those folks had but you mentioned tina tina fey and we're going to start with one of her shows the second season of one of our favorite comedies, Netflix's uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, was released on April 15th. Jen, we have talked about how much we both loved the first season. So you've watched the entire second season. I've only been able to get through about half of it so far. What were your thoughts about the season in general? Maybe specific things that you loved? Did it live up to the high expectations we had coming in? I think uh, quite the opposite. It exceeded my expectations oh, wow. I, I like okay. it way better than season one and i think season one is is impeccable so um titus just <laughs> what words do you use to describe titus he is one of the greatest characters but also just a really cool dude and um at the same time it's hilarious they're also dealing with some like serious topics there's gentrification and racism and you haven't gotten there yet but they even take on the redskins like it's well they actually did that in the very first episode just a little bit uh, when uh <laughs> uh Jackie Lynn has a little uh sweat induced hallucination and there's a little red skin logo that said why am i still a thing yeah it so, comes yeah, back it, yeah <laughs> but i am just i was so impressed with season 2 i i love the character of Mikey who plays Titus's boyfriend and mm-hmm. um all the existing characters from last year have just been magnified and and the introduction of Kimmy's mother who I don't know if you know who that is I don't want to spoil it if you don't I have not I've not gotten there yet but so it is, no, don't it tell is me. genius casting and um I I just loved it I think one of my, I have if I have to pick a favorite line it has to do with Hamilton shocker but Titus <laughs> auditions for Hamilton and doesn't get cast and he says they're just pre- prejudiced because I can't rap or walk quickly in a circle. <laughs> and that made me laugh really hard. <laughs> well, we'll be talking about Hamilton coming up in a special episode that'll come out maybe before this one, maybe after it. We haven't decided yet. But anyway, we'll come back to that. So, yeah, from what I've seen so far, the what's great about what Tina Fey and her co-creator Robert Carlock are doing is that they're creating these characters that are both really bizarre, but also, I don't want to say heartbreaking, but... They're relatable. They're 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 familiar in their eccentricities. Whether it's um, Carol Kane uh, as Lillian, she's just hilarious. But she's also got a lot of those things that you 
might see in somebody who smoked a little bit too much peyote in the 60s. And what I really love is some of the bizarre guest spots I've seen in the first few episodes from Fred Armisen just being a completely insane ukulele player and Anna Camp uh, being Jacqueline's kind of rival. There's these weird characters, but you're like, okay, I know who that is. I get it. They're so well written that I really enjoy them. And then the goofy off the wall humor where we talked to before about how, how could NBC pass on this show because it's so good. But then we thought, you know what? This might not be a show that works on networks because of how weird the humor is. The goofy stuff from like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles truck Lori poster. The Tilda Swinton tailgate on Mikey's truck. <laughs> it's just it's just so bizarre. And it, and it relates to a show that I've compared these two shows uh, a little bit in the past with Angie Tribeca. Where it's there's as much visual humor in this show as there is jokes. And you've really got to be on your toes to kind of watch this and get the most out of it. But uh, so far from what I've seen from season two, they are, I don't know that I will say that I like it as much yet. I want to get through it all before I make that determination. But the sophomore slump does not seem to be a problem with Kimmy Schmidt as of yet. Have you gotten to the Joshua Jackson cameo yet? No, I have not. I know you're a big Pacey fan. I am such a Pacey fan, but uh, there was a scene I'm, convinced is written specifically for me but that would be that would be <laughs> odd if that were the case but yeah yeah uh there's a there's a lot more cameos to come and and what you were saying about the visuals you can't look away so no. this isn't a show to have on in the background i i did that mistakenly today when i was finishing it up before we recorded and i kept having to to rewind it back because i would i know i missed something and i did so there's all these background visuals it's just so carefully orchestrated it's uh, it's really impressive. They pay so close attention to detail, and even Tina Fey's role this season. Um, she, I think she's one of my heroes. Yeah, and that's that's actually the exact reason why I have not finished it yet is because it's not one that I want to watch while I'm working, which is when I watch almost everything is because I'm always working. It's not one that I want to take and just say, I'm going to put it on and just kind of hear the jokes. Most, especially network shows, whether they're comedies or dramas, I can just listen to and it's fine. This is one that I didn't want to do that with. So I kind of watched a few episodes here, a few episodes there, but I'm excited to dive into it uh, really deep from there. Another show that we love, directed and led by a woman that returned last week is Inside Amy Schumer. And there was a scene in this one that I thought might have been written <laughs> specifically for you as well. Yeah. Um, the episode combined everything that we love, political and social commentary, Amy making herself look like an idiot, and Lin-Manuel Miranda. Jen, I feel like if we don't start with the Betsy Ross musical first, we're kind of burying the lead. So what were your takes on the season premiere of Inside Amy Schumer? Um. Well, in, in reference to the Betsy Ross musical, I... I have to applaud Lin-Manuel Miranda because with everything that's going on, he's won the Pulitzer, he's, you know, Hamilton, he can still laugh at himself. And that was just such a joke of at him. And he literally just put himself in the spot to be made fun of. And Amy gets up there. She she has no fear of, of being, being the crazy, ugly girl. She <laughs> looks like a moron. She doesn't do things to make herself look flattering. Um, 
the the skit where she is at the gynecologist's office and oh god yeah I, we, we have to talk about that the one the congressman yeah. and the delegates come in oh my god it's just so tongue-in-cheek and i don't i don't know if we've seen the likes of someone like her who just doesn't care in in so many years all the way to the end of the episode where she's literally interviewing the woman who waxes her Oh my um, God. She just yeah. has oh. no boundaries, and I think she's just wonderful. I recently listened to an episode of Alec Baldwin's uh, WNYC podcast, Here's the Thing, that Amy Schumer was on. And some of Alec's questions, like they often do, made me a little uncomfortable because he was asking a lot about her personal life and dating and stuff. It was a little awkward. But what you got to see was behind the personality and behind the big kind of showy look-at-me-and-laugh-at-me persona that she has – but you also got to see why it's there. So it was really interesting to see something like <laughs> that, her interviewing the woman who waxes her pelvic region or <laughs> doing the the OBGYN um, appointment when a bunch of male congressmen came in to interview her about her, and this is a direct quote, lady parts, and asked her when she had, I think it was like her lady sickness, if she'd had it that month yet. <laughs> And she said something like she said the I think she said the word vagina and they all said ooh. I mean it just it's so smart and talking about how you know this all male Congress uh, decides what happens with women's reproductive rights and their bodies and it's kind of ridiculous. I think that one of my favorite jokes was she asked why there weren't any Congress women on this committee that these men were on and they said that would be like letting the lions run the zoo and it's like. She's so smart with how she does things and how she's able to take the most ludicrous things going on in the world and not only make a joke about them, but make a point about them as well. And that's a tough thing to do and to do it well on both aspects. Jen, what are your – I know you've been a Inside Amy Schumer fan from the beginning. What are your favorite sketches? Well, I think everybody talks about the uh, the women in their 40s and 50s. The We've reached the – Sorry for the language, unfuckable age in Hollywood. Um, I'm also a big fan of the 12 angry men deciding whether she is. Yeah, and, that's my favorite. That's my first personal favorite. But I think my favorite is from season one where she, again, very smartly took on a controversial issue where she played a military video game as a woman character and kept, repeatedly kept getting sexually assaulted. Wow. I thought that was so unbelievably, like, the way she was making a statement, but still in a comedic sketch, but the message was definitely there. I think that's my favorite. Yeah, I don't remember that one. I'm going to have to, oh, I wrote, have made to a Google note to go one, right yeah. click that one up. Yeah. My favorite, as much as I love the political stuff, and like I said, 12 Angry Men is, that's my favorite thing she's ever done because of the attention to detail. It was a long form, the entire half hour episode. With big and names. I, yeah, I mean, it had Paul Giamatti, Jeff Goldblum. And I know that movie very well. I directed a stage production of it, so I know that movie really well. And how similar it was both in dialogue and staging and mannerisms. And even the look of the characters was, it was perfect. However, my next favorite is not one that really has any political commentary. It's more of a artistic commentary. It is, <laughs> do you remember the food room? I don't, no. It is a sketch where Amy and... Josh Charles play manager and employee at a fast food restaurant, and it is done in the style of Aaron Sorkin. Josh Charles, of course, being one of the leads on the beloved uh, 
Gone Before It's Time Sports Night. But it's so funny. It's I mean, it's really one of the funniest things. They nail Aaron Sorkin in this sketch. So if you haven't seen that one, check out The Food Room and, and check out the one Jen's talking about with the... Uh... It's called A Very Realistic Military Game. So uh, it's only been the season premiere. And also, there were a lot of actual theater people in this episode of Inside Amy Schumer. Not only was there Lin-Manuel Miranda, but one of her friends, who she is actually good friends with in real life, that she was talking to... Uh, about about her sex life. She was talking to uh, cabaret star Bridget Everett and her husband at the very beginning of the episode. She talked to Judy Gold, Rebecca Naomi Jones, and Rachel Dratch, both uh, Broadway uh, regulars, uh, did a sketch about... <laughs> I, I, I don't even want to talk about it. It's, it's yogurt it's so that bad. makes... <laughs> yogurt that makes a part of your body, a woman's body, not... Taste bad. Tasteful, or taste like anything. Yeah, right, I just, yeah. It was, but uh, who who else can get away with that? Are you kidding me? <laughs> and you know me; I don't like being uncomfortable or to see awkward things. Like, but uh, speaking, of, this is a good transition. Uh, Jen, I know you don't watch this show regularly. You've only seen it, I think you said once. But a show that's becoming appointment TV for me is Full Frontal with Samantha B. At the beginning of this episode, this aired uh, the Monday before the New York primaries. And Sam opened her episode with showing video of just the most blatant pandering from John Kasich. He's talking with a bunch of Orthodox Jews and talked about how much he loved Passover because it so reminded him of how Jesus was the Lamb of God. And it was just like, (laughs) know your audience, man. It was so awkward. I had to fast forward through the clips of him doing it because it was so awkward. But... Full Frontal with Sam B. If you don't know who Sam B. is, she was on The Daily Show for, I mean, for a long time, uh, along with her husband, Jason Jones, and they did some really great commentaries on that show. She now has her own uh, weekly, I guess it's, I mean, it's it's fairly similar to The Daily Show, just without an interview with a celebrity, where she does um, not necessarily sketches, but investigative pieces, uh, and a lot of the same stuff she did on, on The Daily Show, and to me, it's... It's up there with last week tonight with John Oliver in terms of its political insight and humor. She's done some really great stuff. I know Jen will disagree with me, but it makes me a little annoyed that she didn't stick around a little longer, maybe get the Daily Show job, because I think this shows that she would have been fantastic in that role. Uh, but she's she's hilarious, and she is spot on her understanding of, of the ridiculousness of the political system in America is amazing. And she does great work. So if you aren't watching Full Frontal with Samantha B, you you really need to because it is unlike anything else that you're going to see on TV. Yeah, I've only seen the one episode, but I've always adored her, so I I do need to check it out more. Yeah, it's uh it, it's a good one. I know, Jen, you still stick with the with the Daily Show. I've gotten off watching the Daily Show. This is only once a week, so it's not like it's a replacement, but it is definitely worth the time once a week. All right, moving on to a, a female-led on-screen and off-screen show that ended its first season this uh, this past week. That is a show that we've already discussed ad nauseum. That is Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Jen, we've talked about how much we both love the show. We think it could be one of the best shows on TV. So rather than talk about the greatness of the show in general, let's talk a little bit about this season finale. It really went so many different ways. I didn't know where it was going. And then it ended in a kind of 
awkward way. <laughs> what did you what did you think about this season finale? I loved the season finale. Um I think it was a great way to sum it up. Um she had been kind of given into the she and Greg will they or won't they and they well they were. And um but at the same time Josh was kind of realizing that maybe she was the girl for him and realizing how little he had in common with Valencia. So as Greg is starting to freak out about them getting too serious, Josh is starting to realize that maybe he wants to be with her and they do wind up hooking up. And in that moment, she confesses <laughs> that everyone was right and she did move there for him and she did stalk him. And he's like, wait, what? And that's how it ends. And I thought it was so bold because it so easily could have been, it could have gone in a thousand different directions like you were saying, but she's kind of right back where she started from, you know, it, it made the full circle of, yeah. Oh, by the way, I was kind of crazy and I did follow you here, but obviously it was the right decision because now you love me and everything's great. And his look at the camera was just like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was, it, it was very much full circle. If not full circle, almost to the fact where she's actually in a far worse position now yeah. than she was because she just slept I think the uh, assumption is that they did a little hibbity-jibbity in the back of that convertible. And now Josh thinks, well, Josh knows she's crazy. And then we see poor, poor Santino Fontana's Greg drunk on the couch, finally getting up the courage to say, Rebecca, I love you. And yet she's in the backseat of a car with his best friend. So not to name drop, but I did have the opportunity to interview Rachel Bloom last week. She talked about this was where... They knew they wanted the first season to end from the very beginning. I talked to her before the finale, but she knew that the episode was not going to sit well with everybody since so many people had been shipping Rebecca with either Greg or Josh and pretty much no one was going to be happy. But this is where they wanted to end it. She said going into season two, it was going to be a lot about people reinventing themselves. So it looks like they have a really good plan for the next season and I'm excited I do want to mention the first musical number of that episode was another fantastic musical homage with Donalyn Champlin's Paula character singing effectively Paula's turn, a take on the great Rose's turn from Gypsy. Donalyn Champlin, as much as the show has been talked about with being a breakout for Rachel Bloom. She's a Broadway regular. She played Adolfo Pirelli in the last revival of Sweeney Todd on Broadway. She's fantastic, but she's turned out on this show t to be honestly one of the most interesting characters because she turns out at the end of the season to be even more crazy than Rebecca is. Yeah, she's great. I mean, she's hilarious. And, and I talked with Rachel Bloom. She talked about how Donna Lynn has just this natural confidence and sensuality that this character really has bubbling underneath that makes her really interesting. You know, I think the season finale was a great way to sum it up. And then you throw in, I don't know, just some random person to sing a princess song at the end. Uh, yeah. Hi. And it's, <laughs> and it's Leia Salonga and she's singing what amounts to a princess song from a Disney movie. <laughs> she is a Disney princess. So I mean, it's just, it was crazy. I mean, it was so well done. And I, this is one of those shows where, yes, there are some laughs here and there. And this is why on our next list of Palooza, we didn't really categorize this as a comedy. We aren't really categorizing it as a drama. You know, there are some funny moments, but 
I think the humor is as much in its construction as anything else. The attention to detail and the little asides and humor that is built into the storytelling is what makes this show really entertaining. And that's unlike what you see on most shows. Not to mention the supporting cast. I mean, I always pledge my undying love for Daryl Whitefeather, who, as you were kind of saying in the first few episodes, he was kind of really quirky and weird. And now he's one of, he's like the conscience almost of the show. And he's really stable and he's in this new relationship, which is adorable. And with, with a um, guy, with a guy who we only know as white Josh. (laughs) It's so funny, but also the, the predicament of Josh really interests me too, because he's a little bit at a crossroads with finally realizing that him and Valencia, he and Valencia aren't, for each other and Rebecca might be the one and then discovering she's like legit crazy. <laughs> so where does he go from here? Because his his life seems to always be defined by who he's dating. So I think that is a very intriguing uh, way to take off with Josh's character for next season too. Yeah, and it plays in well to what Rachel said about the next season being about people reinventing themselves. And what you said about uh, Will Gardner's Daryl Whitefeather, Rachel also said in the interview that she didn't they didn't realize this at first this was not how they set out but as they started writing the season she realized that the two characters that are most alike are Rebecca and Daryl and the fact that they both have this unbridled optimism underneath everything they do they might be awkward they might be a little crazy but they both have this optimistic view of the world where they think that everything can work out despite every other logical piece of information that they have. So it's it's cool that they've had this opportunity to kind of develop these characters that if the show had been a half an hour on Showtime, they probably wouldn't have had the opportunity to do that. All right, you mentioned Netflix's Grace and Frankie earlier, Jen. This is one that is on my list of things to see, and I want to see it. I just haven't gotten around to watching it. Grace and Frankie doesn't really have any stars in it, right? <laughs> no, it's all uh, no names, uh, 20-something CW people. You wouldn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just it, people with good cheekbones. Correct. Uh, and in reality, it is four of probably the biggest names in television and film history, um, all in their 70s. And it is hilarious. I, I really hope you watch this. Martin Sheen, Sam Waterston, Jane Fonda, and Lily Tomlin. You know, if you want some pedigree, you really don't have to go any further. All right, so tell lay out the the elevator pitch for what this show is about. Well, basically, it's these couples in their 70s, and the two husbands have fallen in love with each other. They've been in love with each other for years, and they have decided that now the children are grown. They're in their golden years. They want to be together. So the pilot begins with them telling their wives, Grace and Frankie, Grace is Jane Fonda, Frankie's Lily Tomlin, that they have decided to leave them and be together. Now, Grace and Frankie have never really been friends. They're just kind of, you know, you, you're in that situation where your husbands are right. friends, so you know each other, but you're, they're not friends. They, the, four, the two couples own a beach house. They don't want to sell it to the other, so Grace and Frankie wind up taking that and living together. And that's basically the premise of the season one. <laughs> um, they have grown children who have all grown up together because, you know, they've um, right. been together for so many years. Um, one of their daughters and one of their sons used to have a thing and so there's a little tension there and the kids you know they're not no names it's brooklyn decker is the one daughter um oh wow june diane raphael plays another daughter who i adore from the podcast how did this get made 
and the sons are Ethan Embry, Ethan Embry, who was a big star in the 90s, and then another adopted son named Bud, who I've never seen before, but he's great too. So they have the four kids and then some grandkids. But it's really just season one is about um, everybody navigating this new part of their lives and, and making it work. And like we said, with that pedigree, <laughs> I mean, you're seeing some serious, again, serious issues with, you know, aging and being single in your late 70s. And there's some funny moments when they try Tinder and in this new world. <laughs> and it's really, really, really well written. And of course, you know. Well, well acted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When when does the second season kick off on Netflix? Uh, May 6th. It's a Friday. They always dump everything right. on Fridays. Yeah. Give people a weekend to watch. Yeah. All right. Cool. I'll, uh, this is on my list. I will definitely get to this one soon. But how can you not with that with that cast and with such a funny oh, premise? So uh, good. Yeah. All right. There was one other show we were going to talk about um, that is a female-driven show. It's not necessarily a comedy but it's it's stars is the girlfriend experience. What happened was is I wrote down a list of things I needed to watch before we recorded, and I wrote down girlfriend ex, and I think I had a dyslexic moment and just <laughs> thought that was crazy ex girlfriend. So I didn't watch it, but uh, Jen, you did, and I think you have a little synopsis for what you thought, right? Well, it got a lot of really good reviews, so I, I, I thought I would check it out, and and I did, but. Basically, you can just go to a website called Pornhub.com, and you can see the same <laughs> thing, and it's better acting. That's just the best way I can describe it. Ow. This, and it stars – what's the, the – star? it's, it's, it's Riley, Keough. Riley Keough, who was in Mad Max Fury Road. She's Elvis Presley's granddaughter. Uh, she's uh, Lisa Marie's daughter. And it's really that bad. It's based on a movie, right? Like it. Yes, the Steven Soderbergh movie starring Sasha Gray. I don't remember what year that was. Uh, I feel like it was in the like maybe 2011, 2009, something around there. Maybe. Yeah, I, I, don't, don't. I didn't see the movie. No, neither did I. Sasha Gray is, ironically, you mentioned pornography. She was. Is, you can also fall on, find on Pornhub. Yeah, she is a legit she porn star. Legit. Okay. All right, so that is one that is basically just. It's not Stars, for me. I Cinemax. I don't know if you'd like it or not. Bait. I just um, lost interest. I don't know what she's trying to attempt by no acting, but maybe it's a choice, and maybe I'm just missing it. <laughs> maybe she's so dead to the world from all of her yeah. sexual provocation. Yeah. Ugh. It's deep. All right. Well, <laughs> we'll get out of that. But fortunately, like we said, if this isn't your thing, there are plenty of really good female-led comedies that – Really, as we talk about our next list of Palooza, uh, that is about our favorite top ten current comedies. I'm feeling a lot of these shows might make it in. Make them laugh, make them laugh. Don't you know everyone wants to laugh? <laughs> my dad said, "Be an actor, my son, but be a comical one." They'll be sad. Okay, Jen, we've been talking about TV a lot since the Oscars, basically because there hasn't been a ton of great movies released since then. But today we're going to talk about a handful of movies coming out in the next few months and kind of talking about their trailers and if we're excited about them or not. But first, you actually did see a movie recently. Is this like the first one since the beginning of the year? Um, I haven't. This is the first movie I've seen in the theater since Deadpool. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. Deadpool. So it's been a few months. All right. Tell us about it. What did you see and did you like it? I saw Everybody Wants Some by Richard Linkletter and talk about the opposite of a 
female role models. Um, <laughs> this couldn't be more bro heavy if if he tried. It is all about the bros. Um, and I loved every second of it. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's set in 1981. So it's about five years later, time wise than uh, after Dazed and Confused. And it's not plot heavy. <laughs> it's just a bunch <laughs> of dudes uh, going to college. They're baseball players and they, you know, want to get some. And that's quite literally the entire story. So if you're looking for Shakespeare, maybe not your thing. If you want a, a women power driven comedy, not your thing, but it's brainless, it's silly, and it's fun um, just looking at college life before cell phones and before, you know, the internet and how you just had to go about, you know, trying to meet people. And I really, really enjoyed it. The thing that I found interesting was the lead is um, a former Glee star. He's also married to Supergirl star Melissa Benoit. Right. I can't remember his uh, name right now. Jenner. Something Jenner. Yes. He's great, and the lead girl in it is the daughter of Leah Thompson. Really? So it was a nice little throwback to the 80s in there, and she <laughs> was great. So it's brainless. It's just something to sit back and laugh at if you need if you need something like that. Um, you know, we're heading into the blockbuster season, so this was just a nice little thing to see on a Saturday afternoon in Seattle. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it got really good reviews. Um it got really good reviews from everybody. I'm not usually a, a Linkletter fan. I did not enjoy Boyhood all that much. Uh, but obviously this is much different from something like that. It is. It's more Dazed and Confused-esque. I don't know if that's a movie. That, to me, sums up college because we watched it like every day. But it's very along those lines. Fair enough. All right, Jen, we're going to play a game here with some trailers that have been released in the past few weeks or month or so. Where we're going to talk about a, a, a movie, and based solely on the trailer and what little bit we know about it, we're going to decide whether we want to see it on opening night, wait to get it on Redbox, or whether we're going to skip it altogether. Those are the only three options. Opening night, Redbox, or skip it. We're going to go kind of go back and forth through five or six, and then we're just going to go through a couple more uh, without a whole lot of discussion. But why don't you start? I think you wanted to talk about... Uh, the new Lonely Island movie, right? I did. Pop star Never Stop Never Stopping. <laughs> it is clearly a parody of Justin Bieber's Never Never Say Never. That is that what it was called? Yeah, Forgive me, I'm not a believer. Uh, no idea. No. <laughs> but uh, I will watch anything The Lonely Island does because they just are three childhood friends having a great time. And this stars Andy Samberg as said pop star who it's a mockumentary style with all of the people around him that it takes to make him who he is. And <laughs> there's a whole montage of people who he surrounds himself with. And it goes yeah. really fast. I did see one that was unicorn wrangler starring by, <laughs> who's played by pink or something like that. It's just silly. Again, I, I love the silly comedies and um, these guys do it so well. I'm super excited. So I will be in the theater watching this one. Yeah, it was hilarious that the people that are in it, you've got Adam Levine's hologram, <laughs> Adam Levine's hologram humping himself. Yeah. Uh, you've also got Sarah Silverman, uh, you've got Joan Cusack. You've got who plays as Rhodey? It was oh, Bill um, Hader. Yeah, Bill Hader is in there. I mean, just a great group of people. And it, it actually his story reminded me a little bit of Mark Wahlberg being a guy who kind of starts out as a rapper in a group and then becomes a pop. Yeah, so it reminded me a little bit of that. But yeah, definitely this is one that I would go see opening night 
with without a doubt. Yeah, I like going to the theaters for comedies like this too. It's just fun to laugh. Well, and it's also nice, like you said, with comedies to do it with other people yeah. around you. It's one thing to sit at home and watch like we do with our TV and laugh, but to be able to see a, a really funny movie with laugh out loud moments with a couple hundred people really changes the level of enjoyment for me. Another comedy that I'm excited about is is Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates. And this stars Zac Efron and Adam Devine from Workaholics and the Pitch Perfect movies. And it also co-stars real life good friends. I don't want to, I would never say that other people are BFFs if they haven't said it themselves, but real life really good friends, the unbelievably perfect Anna Kendrick and Aubrey Plaza. And basically, Zach Efron and Adam Devine's characters are brothers. They're kind of screw ups. They don't really care about dating, but they are told they have to bring wedding dates to their sister's wedding. And so they put an ad online, or they go, no, they, that's right, they go on the Wendy Williams show talking about needing dates, and they end up with Anna Kendrick and Aubrey Plaza. There is no doubt that this one's an opening night one for me, simply on the fact that Anna Kendrick is in it. But what I, really interests me about this trailer is that it really turns the cliche of a lot of the movies we've seen recently on its head. We've seen so many, like, man-child comedies over the past decade, from Judd Apatow and Seth Rogen and Jason Segel, where the guy is in, like, a bit of arrested development. He's just a schlub who can't get his life in order. And in this movie, it seems like that's actually the girl's role. Uh, and it just looks hilarious. Anna Kendrick and Aubrey Plaza are so funny together. And this is one that looks to be pretty good. It's hard for me to admit that a Zac Efron movie looks good, but I, I'm excited about it. Yeah, I will definitely go opening night. I conversely will always enjoy Zac Efron movies, no matter how bad the script is, but even if it's on, even if it's on mute, absolutely. I adore Anna Kendrick as you do and Aubrey Plaza. And of course, Adam Devine, but also I saw a little veep person in there who's playing, um, what are their names? It's you're talking about Steven Root. No, I am talking. Oh, oh, two veep people. Good call. Mike and Dave's um, sister is about to get married, and the person she is marrying is Sam Richardson, who is an addition to oh, yeah. Veep in season three, and he is one of my favorite characters. Cool. Yes, it looks funny. It, it looks to be one of those kind of goofy comedies that's perfect for the summer. It comes out on July 8th, so right after the big blockbusters around the 4th of July weekend. So it'll be this will be one I, hopefully I'll get to go see a screening ahead of time for. But if not, I'll probably be there right around opening night. All right, Jen, you've got one that is decidedly not a comedy that you wanted to talk about. That's Girl on the Train. Yes, I read this book. Um, as you know, I'm a big audiobook file and I read, you know, listen on my way to and from work and my two hour commute. And I read this book because my mom recommended it. And it was one of those books where I couldn't stop even when I arrived at my destination. So uh -huh. I read it in like a day and a half. It is a thriller. It is very intriguing the way it unfolds. I am very interested to see how they can do it in a movie style, but it has a very Gone Girl feel to it. So the trailer gave me a lot of high hopes. And it's basically a, a girl, Emily Blunt, and she's going through a lot of emotional and alcohol problems. And she rides a commuter train every day. And out the window of her train, she sees what she thinks is a crime. So she gets involved in this espionage that's the wrong word but um this whole crime thriller intrigue, <laughs> intrigue thank you the, and she just gets in she inserts herself into a story um and 
it's not the most reliable of witnesses because of her alcohol problems, but it it comes back to be more personal than she originally anticipated. So it's a very, very interesting thriller. I'm really excited about it. I think it's great casting, and our, our pal Justin Thoreau's in there. <laughs> Oh yeah, so. he was on my. He, I was going to mention that. Yeah, I I thought the same thing that you thought. Um, a very Gone Girl feel. And as soon as I realized it was based on a book, because I hadn't seen it or no, heard anything about it until the trailer came out a couple days ago, uh, I put it on my list of books to go out and get because it looks great. It's a great, but book. it does have a yeah, it has a really good cast. You mentioned Emily Blunt and Justin Thoreau. Also has Allison Janney as a police officer. Lisa Kudrow's in it. Laura Prepon is in it. So I mean, it's got a really good cast, and it just looks to be a really taut exciting thriller it doesn't come out until october 7th but uh this is one that that i would be in the uh, theater on opening night for me too so far three for three yeah we're in good shape (laughs) i think that'll change Uh, next (laughs) for you perhaps um we're going to talk about (laughs) captain america civil war um this is one that is the beginning of the marvel cinematic universe phase three where different factions of the Marvel Cinematic Universe face off against each other, basically over whether or not the government should have oversight of superheroes. It is based on a comic book of the same name. I read the... And when they do these big crossover comic books, they have each individual character has their own part of the story, and then they have a central story that they all kind of branch off from. I've read the central story, not all the different ones, but it basically pits Iron Man versus Captain America and people who align themselves with them over whether or not they think that superheroes should have to have some sort of regulations. And what's interesting is, is that I think we might've mentioned this before Robert Downey Jr. Had kind of said, ah, I'm kind of done with Iron Man. And then when they said, okay, we want to do civil war and kind of met, let the superheroes face off against each other. Not necessarily that he's the bad guy, but he is kind of an antagonist because it is a Captain America movie. He decided to go ahead and, and sign back on for it. And it really expands. Everybody we've basically seen in the Avengers world other than the Guardians of the Galaxy shows up in this. And they bring in more characters, including Black Panther. And for the first time ever in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they are able to make a deal with Sony to have Spider-Man appear. So it's really interesting. I Unfortunately, I was hoping I would be able to say none of the above on opening night, Redbox, or Skip It, because I was going to go to the screening. Unfortunately, the screening here in Orlando is the same night that Beautiful the Carol King musical has its opening night. And since I write for Broadway World, I'm kind of obliged to go see that one first. So this is one I obviously will be seeing opening night, probably with my brother. And, uh, totes excited for this one well then i'm gonna make you jelly because i'm gonna say none of the above because i'm going to the cruise screening friends at ah, marvel ah, <laughs> son of a motherless goat so i will see it the week before you will and that makes me uh happy because it just will annoy you but <laughs> i i'm a little superhero movied out but of the Marvel movies, Captain America Winter Soldier was in my top three. So hmm. I am very excited about it. So And I will see it next weekend. Yeah, and Winter Soldier, uh, Bucky, does does appear in this one as well. And it's basically got everybody. Captain America, Iron Man, Black Widow, the Winter Soldier, Falcon, War Machine, Vision, Ant-Man, Scarlet Witch. Everybody's in there. Um, so I'm excited to see this and to see how... Phase three of the Marvel Cinematic Universe unfolds all the way up until 2019. 
Okay. The next one is one where we're probably going to disagree again. <laughs> it, it's another one. It's another one that expands on a very particular cinematic universe. And Jen, that is Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Woo! <laughs> All right, tell us what that I, is. Well, I'm admittedly more of a Harry Potter person than you are. Um, I am not a Harry Potter person at all, so yes. So, then I'm correct. Yes. <laughs> um, this is basically expanding on something from the Harry Potter universe. In Harry Potter at Hogwarts, one of their textbooks was written by this man named Newt Scamander. And this is his story. And it's ba- played by Eddie Redmayne, who plays Scamander, is going to a convention in the United States on Fantastic Beasts. And his briefcase contains a um, number of dangerous creatures and the creatures escape. So basically the movie is about wrangling these creatures. I know Matt's thinking, Oh, I couldn't want to see this movie less, but Jen, however, will be in the theater. Maybe not opening weekend because you know, it's technically a children's movie and I don't want to be around children cause I hate them, but uh, I will, I will see it in the theater. I'm not saying opening weekend. Yeah. Right, so again, you're just completely disregarding the rules of the game. A B you read <laughs> YA novels. I do. You love Harry Potter, love. yet you hate being around children. Yes, there's some there's some sort of psychological Freudian disconnect here going on. But yeah, let's that's not fine. tug at that string. Okay, all right. I know nothing about Harry Potter other than what you pick up from general osmosis of popular culture. Never read the books. Never seen the movies. Um, not that I have anything against them. It's just one of those things like we've talked about many times with TV shows. I didn't get in at the ground level and it's too much work to get caught up. So this is one that I will probably skip despite the fact that I love seeing a Tony winning stage star turn into a big movie star like Eddie Redmayne, but probably skip it. Fair enough. All right. Going back to the superhero well, as is often my want. The DC Warner Brothers movie Suicide Squad is set to be released uh, in August of this year. Uh, hopefully this is one that I will see a pre-release screening for, because if not, this is one I might wait to Redbox. Really? The trailers, yeah, the trailers have been great. I, they set them to these classic rock songs. First one was to Bohemian Rhapsody. The next one was to Barroom Blitz. They're really, really fun and exciting and have really great characters. Basically, the premise is is that Viola Davis decides she wants to go battle something really bad, so she gets the worst criminals out of prison to go do it. That way, if they fail, who the hell cares? They'll be dead. And that's the Suicide Squad. There you go. Um, But the trailers are good. They look kind of funny. But the last DC Warner Brothers movie was pretty damn awful. And the reports are the Suicide Squad had to go back for reshoots after the critical drubbing that Batman v Superman took. Um, one of the things that I know I said after seeing the movie and a lot of other critics said was that there was zero humor in that movie. The trailers for Suicide Squad appear to be at, maybe not humorous, maybe, maybe not humorous, but at least have a lighthearted comedic tone to them at times. Apparently, all of those moments were in the trailers, so they went back to add more of it into the movie itself. When you're doing reshoots that late to change the tone of a movie, that's not a good sign. So, if I get a a pre-release screening invite, I will go. If not, I will probably at least wait for critics and friends that I trust to see it before I spend any money on it. If not, I'll wait to spend two bucks on a Blu-ray from Redbox. Yeah, DC really hasn't nailed this formula yet. Um, 
I think they, no. <laughs> Marvel has just set the bar so high. And in a world where Guardians exists, I don't see the appeal of this. The cast is really intriguing. I love Jared Leto. I yeah. love Margot Robbie. But I'm wondering if the trailer is the best part of it, which has been the trend with DC movies. So I will have to agree with you. I'm going to wait on the words of my trusted comic book nerd friends. And I do have a lot of them before oh, yeah. I will go out and spend money on it. Yeah, it does have a really good cast. You mentioned Jared Leto, Margot Robbie. I said Viola Davis. You've also got Will Smith. Um, you've got Adewale Akinoyo Ag. But how do you say? Do you know who I'm talking about? Um, is he from Lost? He, um, was he Mr. Echo? No, he is from. Uh, yeah, he was Mr. Echo. Yeah. On Lost. So he he's one of the guys in it. Um, and, you know, it's got a great cast and it should be fun. I just I'm I'm a little hesitant, so so we'll see. DC is known for that. They cast it well, they set it up well, they trailer it well, and then it fails on every level. So I hope that this breaks that tradition, <laughs> but yeah. I don't have high hopes. <laughs> I don't either. So we'll see. All right, now we're gonna just kind of run through some real quick opening night red box skippets on some other trailers that we've recently watched, Jen. The it's not necessarily a remake because it's not the same characters and even the same story. It's a similar story, different characters, but the new Magnificent Seven. What do you think? Opening night. For me, it's Redbox. We've got the founder, which is Michael Keaton. He plays Ray Kroc, the quote unquote founder of McDonald's. Um, I'm going to say opening night. Redbox. Okay. The... Despite the fact that they've already kind of transitioned this franchise into a different direction with Jeremy Renner, Matt Damon is back in the new movie Jason Bourne. I am saying Redbox. Opening night. Damn, we are <laughs> good at disagreeing. We, we might we might agree on this one. The I don't know. It, it's it's another. We talk about cinematic universes and expansion of the Star Wars cinematic universe. Rogue One. Jen, what do you say? Night before opening night. <laughs> you were going at like lining up at seven o'clock. Yes, you? sir. Okay, opening night for me, duh. Unless I can see it, see it beforehand. All right, per the usual, we are going to end this episode of Some Like It Pop with a little show and tell where we auditorily show you something and tell you why it fascinates us. Jen, you went first last time, so I'll go ahead and go first this time. Last episode, I kind of went a little off the pop culture track and picked a book for my show and tell. <laughs> and while it's still pop-ish-ler culture, I'm going to go even farther off the metaphorical reservation this time. <laughs> and I'm going to read you excerpts from the play-by-play -play of a recent Los Angeles Dodgers <laughs> baseball game. Oh, Vin. <laughs> yeah. Jen, as an Angelino, I'm sure, as you mentioned, that you know that the Dodgers have the greatest living baseball announcer calling their games, and that is Vin Scully. At 88 years old, Scully has been calling Dodgers games since 1950. Literally, my mom was born at the end of his 11th season calling Dodgers games. Think about that. This season, he has decided to only call home games, but he is no less spectacular. Jen, as you know, as a huge baseball fan, calling baseball games, especially on radio, is 
about telling stories while also keeping the listeners updated as to what's going on in the game. And no one, not even the Hall of Famer, Marty Brenneman, whom I grew up listening to call Reds Games, does it like Scully. This is from... (laughs) The first time I read this, I had an absolute laughing conniption fit. So if I start giggling uncontrollably, I apologize. But this is from a recent Dodgers game just last week. That brings up Hunter Pence. Pence, the cleanup hitter, follows Posey, Panic, and Pagan in the Giants' order. Fastball over for a strike. The Giants' four Ps at the top of the order have combined for six home runs this season. Sometimes four Ps are good. Other times, they are not. The 0-1 bounces, and it's 1-1. One and one. one sign of bladder infection in elderly <laughs> men, some might say I'm an elderly man, but I disagree, is taking up to four Ps in immediate succession and never feeling empty. Ball two. That's why it's important to see a urologist regularly. This half inning is brought to you by Carl's Jr. Try the new Midnight Moonshine Burger with applewood smoked bacon, garlic pepper, and a moonshine glaze now at Carl's Jr. Back to my bladder. (laughs) Ball one on the corner, and it's two and two. Regular checkups allow me to feel comfortable calling games because I can't afford to take a second, third, or even fourth pee while in the booth. The Giants have four P's, but my ideal lineup has no P's. Breaking ball got Pence looking, and that will do it for the fourth P. Who gets away with that? There's also one. I'm going to read. I wasn't planning on doing this, but I have to read you another one. Um, This one plays in very nicely with a recent quasi-holiday that certain people um, celebrate in for for medicinal purposes over in uh, Jen's neck of the woods. Here... (laughs) Here's Eric Chavez to lead off the fifth. He's 0 for 1, which leaves his slugging percentage at a shade above 520 on 420, a date that has become something of a holiday for a certain segment of the population. 520 is a high slugging percentage, and a high number is somewhat fitting on 420. Fastball over at the knees, and it's 0 and 1. On 420, marijuana enthusiasts celebrate their love for the narcotic that is illegal in most places, but is becoming legal in others. Unlike baseball, marijuana is illegal for recreational purposes in California, but legal if taken medicinally. Fouled off, and it's 0 and 2. Here are some 420 facts for the population that is blazing up today. Ty Cobb in 1911 and George Sisler in 1922 hit 420 to, to win batting titles. Sweet Lou Whitaker finished his career with 420 doubles. Chavez asked for time and steps out. Pitcher Steve Traxel appeared in 420 games. Lloyd Brown, who pitched in the 20s and 30s, had a career ERA of exactly 420. Chavez lays off, ball one outside. Finally, Ted Lewis was a hurdler for the Boston Bean Eaters in the 1890s and 1900s and issued 420 walks over his time with that team. And on a day like today, everyone can appreciate someone so willing to offer a free pass Beckett smokes a fastball past Chavez for strike three, and Dodger fans can finally exhale. This guy is 88 years old, and he is weaving in subtle innuendo, talking about toking up. Vin Scully is a legend. Vin Scully is a genius. And whenever he decides to finally hang it up, uh, baseball will be lesser of a game for it. And good for you, Vin. And I'm jealous of you, Jen, who you can turn on the local radio station, listen to Vin anytime you want. He is a uh, a local hero, obviously, and this is his last year. And so people have been rallying around um, his legend and they have just renamed the street outside the stadium, Vin Scully Boulevard. He is a genius. And from, in my personal opinion, the only thing good about the Dodgers. (laughs) Not even a Dodger dog? Nope. Okay. Well, I know he's he's only doing home games this year, and he says he's retiring, but 
the rumors of his retirement have been exaggerated many times in the past. So until someone else is calling games for Dodge for the Dodgers next season, I won't believe it. He's amazing. Yeah. All right, Jen, what do you have for show and tell? Well, you could probably see this coming, but I uh, wanted to say something about Prince. And so even though I haven't been able to listen to his music yet because I'm still fragile, um, my brother sent me a clip of a 2004 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame performance where hmm. they were honoring George Harrison, who had, had recently passed. And the band on stage includes Tom Petty, Donnie Harrison, who is George's son, a dead ringer for him, Steve Winwood, and Jeff Lynne, and Prince. So they're singing uh, While My Guitar Gently Weeps. And then at about oh. three minutes in, Prince starts this solo. And one by one on the stage, you can see these other legends just watching him in awe as he destroys this solo. At one point, he turns around and faces them and leans back and a stagehand holds him up as he plays almost laying down. It is <laughs> remarkable and it just is a drop in the bucket of how wonderful he was as a guitarist. There is really nobody that has ever done it like Prince did it. And uh, it's really been a tough year for uh, incredible performers and incredible musicians. But I can only imagine the jam sessions that David Bowie and Prince are having right now. So, again, to anybody who is moved by Prince's music, we uh, hope that you're able to kind of get through this time, either by listening or not listening like Jen is. But um, to know that there's always something to fall back on uh, when you need a little pick-me-up. All right, Jen, on a very somber note, why don't you <laughs> pick us up with a, uh, maybe you should have gone first there. <laughs> Sorry. But you got us on this somber note. Why don't you take us out for this episode? That's it for Some Like It Pop for now. I am Eponine Q on Twitter and Matt is at Matt. You can find both of us at S-L-I-P Podcast. That's the Some Like It Pop Twitter handle. And both of us are Broadway world writers. We write about all of our current obsessions. And until next time, remember, when the elevator tries to break you down, go crazy and punch a higher floor. A world of never-ending happiness. You can always see the sun. Hang on, I gotta pee. And the penguins won! Woo! Held that in. And you can now follow both of us at some like it. Uh, going to be a long day. It's going to be like an eight-hour recording session. 
That, I thought, was a really interesting way to... No, it's not interesting. It's intriguing. I'm not saying interesting anymore. Thanks for listening to this episode of Broadway World Some Like It Pop Podcast. You can find all of our episodes on broadwayworld.com, and you can get new episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So make sure to subscribe, download, and share the gift that is Some Like It Pop. Also, do our egos a favor and follow the show on Twitter at SLIP Podcast. We invite you to get in touch with Jen and me and let us know your thoughts on the shows, movies, and topics that we discuss every week. We'll be back on Friday with our List of Palooza Episode 6 on our favorite current TV comedies. And if you need more of me in your ear holes, check out Today on Broadway from Broadway Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, or BroadwayRadio.com. Thanks for listening, and until next time, we'll see you around the Broadway world. Why, why, why?